This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. And within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder with me, Nicholas Bugs, and our good guest, Glenn Ginsberg, with us. Nick, say hello. Hello, hello. It's good to be here to do it again with you, man. And of course, when we have a guest, it gets exciting. You know, I'm always, always excited to, you know, meet new people, make new friends, and of course, learn something new. So totally excited about, you know, today's episode. Me too. Glenn, say hello. Hey guys. Hey, Chris. Hey, Nick. Thank you guys so much for having me. Quick intro. I'm Glenn Ginsberg. I'm the president of Q Media. We have been working, uh, again, kind of pertinent to to your podcast with uh, the major studios and helping them market their films uh, really since about 2015, 2016, when we got uh, really going. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we really focus uh, our partners on big social campaigns, typically involving influencers that are focused on driving, you know, scaled awareness, excitement and engagement for films. That is uh, right up our alley, Glenn. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, and it's good to have, you know, someone on that, that actually can sort of bounce these different ideas off of us and us off of you and, and talk about sort of what's working and what's not working. But the big news, of course, this week, just to get us, you know, started is that it looks like the WGA strike yeah. has come to an end and they've agreed on terms. And I think, and I want to hear your opinion, Glenn, of course, and yours, Nick, but I think that for the most part, it's, it's, it's the deal that the writers wanted, but I don't think anyone sort of has the courage to talk about the things they didn't get. At least I haven't heard that yet. 
I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of things. And I think the general consensus is we won the negotiation. We won the negotiation. I think that's a really important talking point for them is to just put that out in the world. And I don't think the, the studios and networks care like mm-hmm. too much to, to say they lost the negotiation. But I think that especially HBO and Paramount plus and Paramount in general, I think they did just fine. And I don't know if anyone's ever going to say that. So I just wanted to bring that up. So Glenn, what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, we, we, we had a call with uh, one of our big partner studios today. They were, you know, jubilant about uh, coming to terms. Um, You know, it's definitely over the last few months have been a challenge for our, in our theatrical partners. They rely so much. I mean, aside from just the writers and to, to actually you know, make the product, you know, that they need to bring to market, you know, not having, um, you know, the actors as well as just key promotional partners has, you know, almost needless to say caused it, you know, a break in the matrix, you know, it's, you know, everything has somewhat come to, <laughs> yep. come to it, you know, they've been doing the best they can to, uh, to market the products that they already have existing, but it definitely had slowed down the process, uh, and their ability to market films, which is so critical. So, you know, we've found that, you know, certain films have either been pushed out till next year uh, and others weren't. So it was starting to see kind of get very skinny out there and what was available in the market. So, you know, the films that are being, um, you know, released in this, in this upcoming quarter for the holiday, uh, there's just a lot of excitement that the actors will be back, you know, hopefully uh, there'll be a quick resolution there and that, you know, that the projects that they, they want to produce for next year going to get, going to get made. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Chris, you know, my my thought on that is that like it'd be interesting to see, you know, like you're saying, I think the writers are saying we won. You know, I haven't heard a lot of that kind of language just yet. I think it's really just about it's flipping over. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not about one party winning and the other losing. This is about what most of those contracts are about. It's about compromise so that both parties can get past this, work together, and move on. Right. That's what I'm excited about. Like, okay, let's get back to work. But of course, where my brain is, since we do a lot of uh, indie film support, right, whether it's on the the podcast or outside, it's like, well, what does this say for indie film? Right. Where where is indie film position? You know, you hear a lot of the writers saying, well, maybe we should start working on the indie stuff and we should be writing for indies. And you, you hear all of this, even the actors. Right. Let's support the indies. Let's support the indies. Let's support the indies until the contract gets negotiated and signed on the dotted line. And then all that indie talk just goes away. So I'm really curious to see kind of what comes out of this and, and how indies might be supported or not going forward. Yeah, it felt like all that indie talk back in the early summer and late spring was sort of a, a panic button push by, you know, certain certain people and, and voices, namely Mark Ruffalo and, uh, you know, in the, in the industry and what you, I think as a listener of this podcast have to understand is that when you live outside of Los Angeles and outside of the studio system, you know, those individuals do not view you as part of the industry. Uh, they do not view you as part of the movie business because w- what you're able to do within the boundaries of a studio and uh, the reason you even need unions in the first place and, and why that's part of it, uh, along with health insurance and benefits and, and contract minimums, 
it makes it a real job. <laughs> it makes it a, a job that you can have and pay your rent and take care of your family and put your kids in school. And so they don't view a lot of times the work that we would do as indies as consistent enough work to be considered a job or an in-industry job. And that's something to think about in a variety of ways, philosophically and, and principally, like going forward at, and to your point, Nick. And, and look, I do think there is some cheerleading about, you know, winning uh, the negotiation, but I, I take your point, And I think that that is honestly really what, what it's all about is like, Hey, it's over. And the way I've described it is this, we're going to have content winter in early 24, maybe even into Q3 24. And then you're going to be overloaded with content 25, 26, because all these people, all these writers on strike have been working the whole time. They just haven't had anyone to sell to. So Glenn, what do you, do you agree with that assessment or do you plan on on being so busy in 25, you can't stand it? Yeah. I mean, look, we're constantly looking at what's happening (laughs) right now, this quarter and next quarter. And so we've definitely have felt the deficit and again, the, the, you know, the, the kind of the stoppage, right. Has definitely impacted us because there's less uh, ability to market films when uh, things are being halted. But I kind of kind of throw it back to you, just not being the expert on on independent films. Were were a lot of new products or side projects being formed or executed during during the strike? I didn't notice that anything happened, particularly based on the strike. I really didn't. You know, I didn't I didn't see that there was this big jump in productivity or or a lot of energy around the financing part of it at all, Glenn. I, I I didn't I didn't see how things changed. I think what Nick was alluding to was like were people that were formerly embedded in the studio system going to roll into indie a little bit more. And I really didn't see that either. I didn't see them uh, rushing into indie spaces at all. So I think that might be what Nick is alluding to in terms of just being a little disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and me, you know, not disappointed, but I, I didn't expect anything different. I thought a lot of it was negotiating rhetoric and negotiating talking points to, you know, window dress used as a threat. You know, the, the, the nature of indie film is that you, you write a project and you try to make a project. And that's why I didn't see the strike as being necessarily uh, as a catalyst to, to any new productivity. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll jump in on that because, you know, Glenn, real quick, is just that, mm-hmm. you know, yes, if there's an uptick, right? Well, the cool thing about indie film, it's steady, man. Yeah, you know, like true. that's steady because you got filmmakers everywhere making film in any way possible, right? They get teams together and they make it work. Right. They don't need the system in order to make it work. So it's just constant. What we did see was, you know, the the noise. And I think it's just chatter, like Chris mentioned, which is you had some of the folks that were in the studio system. Specifically, we're talking about the more the actor strike than the writer strike. But the actors saying they're getting waivers to work on indie projects. Sure. Right. But I don't know that those were outside of their existing pipeline. Right. I think they were expecting to work on those anyway. And then they just made sure that they weren't scabs. Right. Like they just want to make sure that like we're yeah, not doing yeah, something yeah. that we're not supposed to do. So I think that's what that was. 
But yeah, that's, that's the cool thing about it, man. It's like steady work, which is why for me, like one of the, my main questions for you, right? Cause you talked about working with the studios and you did mm-hmm. find that things dried up a little bit. And my that's question true. is like, where are the indies? Why aren't they coming to you to say, Hey, help us get our stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, you know, our work has really not supported indies as much mostly i would suppose because of you know the kind of grassroots nature of indies right you know it is you know like you, you guys are saying it's it's like i gotta i gotta tell the story i've gotta make this 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 film and you know you pull it together and it doesn't typically have uh you know the budgets, you know, from a mar- you know, similar budget to how much they cost to produce it, you know, they can't necessarily invest in marketing it until it gets to a certain phase, right? You know, I-, mm-hmm. I would equate the type of marketing that we do now, like on social platforms, equivalent to how you might invest in television advertising, which, you know, mm-hmm. reaches a scaled audience. You may want to reach 80 million people, you know, with your campaign. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's an expenditure. And so uh, if you have a production and you have the studio support to really push out your film to, you know, again, scaled audiences or core groups or core communities that you need to reach, that that's, I think, a, a barrier. Uh, doesn't mean there aren't ways. I, I would that, agree with you. Yeah, there, there aren't ways that, that, that indie films can leverage creators and social platforms to build their audience and build excitement, you know, for their film. Uh, just we're we're typically good at uh, at driving super scaled you know, opportunities. Right. It, it, you're spot on because in indie film, you're always trying to find a marketing approach that is outside of the CPM model. Mm-hmm. Right. but still scales, right? That's the trick on, on the indie film side. When yep. you're marketing for a major studio film, you don't mind the CPM model. Matter of fact, you're looking for it. You're saying, what is the biggest scale I can get? Okay. And I'm going to pay this amount per viewer that you say you have, that you can support and prove that you have. And that's what your marketing budget ends up being for that particular part of the campaign. So it, it it's a little bit different of a game. Yeah. It sounds like from indie, you want to see how much earned or organic views you can get and, you know, get your content out there in the right bits and, you know, find the right communities that will get really behind it and, 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 you know, organically grow your film, which is great. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And you need to start early on any film. I, I do think where our world sort of Venn diagram out is this idea of influencer marketing, because there are, there are, thousands and thousands of people now that have, if not tens of thousands, Glenn, that have significant followings, but you've never heard of them. Like I'm saying general public, you could stop someone on the sidewalk and say, who is this person? And be like, I don't know. Well, guess what? They have 3 million followers on Instagram and you can find that person and pay them a flat fee in many cases to just shout out your movie or do an ad for you. What do you think is, is, sort of the most effective way in your world to use influencer marketing and to, and to pay them. Oh, and what do you have to pay them? Sorry. That's a sort of a multi-question question. But. <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> and, but, and it's not necessarily the, the number, right? But it's more like, yeah, what is the approach there? 
Yeah, I'd love to know the number too, just like in, in or at least the the type of payment. Is it flat or do you have to pay them per post or like what's the most effective, I guess, way to engage yeah. an influence influencer marketer and then get them paid where they do a great job for your film? Sure, sure. So that's a great question. And look, at, at, at you know, in kind of the the comment you made, Chris, about there being you know thousands of different creators, you know, with with significant or very targeted, you know, audiences is the reason Q is in business, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about influencers is that you know they're all independent contractors, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, and 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 really, what I love about the business is you know, in a lot of ways, is that you know, influencers are basically, or I, by the way, I use creators and influencers, you know, kind of synonymously. So uh, if yeah, I interchangeably, forth, sure. Yeah. Interchangeably, I'm saying the same thing, but you know, when I first kind of shifted my career towards creators, it was, you know, it was the fact that all of a sudden there are these new platforms on, uh, you know, we call social platforms started in YouTube is where we really started uh, and then have graduated to others like TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram Reels, etc. But all of a sudden, there's this new class of creator that we're forging direct relationships with audiences, right? And not, you know, on a global level. And so, in a sense, they were, you know, disintermediating the traditional media companies that, you know, that that uh, you had to go to if you wanted to reach a scaled audience. And so we saw an opportunity that, hey, we could, you know, based on the audiences that you're trying to reach, we can, you know, work with a variety of different creators that speak to the communities that you need to speak to in an engaging way to open your film, sell your product, et cetera. And so that's really kind of where we saw the opportunity and where we could now compete against really any media entity. Right. We can go and build and some of our campaigns will reach, you know, get hundreds of millions of views, you know, based on the creators that we pick. Just to kind of go a little bit back on your on your kind of question of like, how do we pick them? It's really an exercise. Right. We we don't say to our partners or, you know, uh, uh, the studios, hey, we're going to try and create a community for you. Although sometimes, we try. Right. but but it's more like a, <laughs> it's a process of of identifying those communities hand in hand with our partners that they really need to reach. Then we you know really do deep dive on who are the creators that speak to that community, mm. and then we take another step and go into each of those creators kind of their library of content and say, all right, what are the creative formats that they do? that are already successful and also provide an opportunity to incorporate what the, what our partner is trying to communicate. And then you can have a collection of, you know, of various posts from that are all authentic to the audience, right. And they're already proven successful and speak to this community and you can scale it, you know, by adding more creators with larger followings. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it makes, it, yeah, it makes perfect. great. It, yep. it makes great sense. And I, I think about, there's a lot to dig into there actually. Sure. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about like this idea of one, could you approach brands, existing brands with the same model that you use with creators since those creators tend to just want to build themselves into a brand anyway. And 
could you find that like a second stream of influence exists where you're finding a series of brands that align with your clients uh, movie or theme of the movie or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could be an, an interesting thing. I'd love to hear you, hear you comment on that. And then I think the other thing is the social media game. Um, mm-hmm. Are you finding that you're getting, you know, sort of adequate click action through the creators I've always thought that that social media was more like brand marketing and not like CTA sort of call to action marketing because there's no sort of organic click through to the product if you're in film. But is it different with creator, I guess, an influencer marketing where they say, go to this link and and their followers are so rabid that they're like, okay, I'll go to that link. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I would say this, right. That I think that you're right in that, you know, especially, and look, there's so many different flavors of influencer marketing, right. You know, there's not just mm-hmm. one, you know, one, sometimes it's about trying to get, you know, tons of micro creators to do the, some small posts. Sometimes it's about getting a, you know, a giant creator, like a Mr. Beast, right. Who might get a hundred million views. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's just a, a, a lot of different flavors of it. Um, Q, Q in particular tends to work with the bigger creators out there. I mean, Mr. Beast is, is an outstanding, I mean, that's um example, of course, but, but could you really get, you know, Mr. Beast, have you guys gotten him? Because I think he's at the, he's at a place where it's, it's not even money. Like you can't entice him with money necessarily. He would also have to love the project. You would think. Sure. Well, I, I do. I mean, yes, he, he he definitely has the ability to pick and choose projects, but he's yeah. enticed by money. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not, yeah. I was, gonna say, I was just going to say that. I was like, it's a yes and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, all, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it, it, well, it's, J- it's well, Jimmy's going to make two hundred million dollars next year. Yeah, I mean, if it's, not it's, more, it's, it's, so. it's crazy. I mean, look, it's it's. You know, it's sometimes it's hard and it, look, it helps when we're working on like a big, like when mission, if we're working on mission impossible or top gun, right. Or, you know, again, we've worked on so many really, you know, uh, massive IP that's already loved. It is actually sometimes easier to have that conversation with creators and they're like, yes, I want to be in here. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, they still, this is their job. You know, yeah. so even though that, it, you know, it might be easier and there might be more attractive opportunities, they still, it's still a job for them and they, they charge, <laughs> <laughs> you know, j- just to kind of the recap on your question. So just something that is kind of interesting too, because like you asked earlier about kind of like the, the, the metrics or, or the click through rates type of thing. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'd say since we work with big creators, a lot of our campaigns are geared towards that upper funnel right? Drive mass okay. awareness, you know, uh, emotional attachment, engagement around these brands, but kind of a way that, that that's something that's really been happening over the last couple of years. And it's really heating up now is when we started to take our creator content, especially on platform, short form video, like on TikTok, mm-hmm. uh, yep. YouTube shorts and reels and using that creator content as ad surf, not just the organic stuff, but ad served, we have found that those, you know, media metrics, the view through, click through rate, conversion are significantly better 
than uh, than kind of those traditional, you know, disruptive ads. And so yeah. that has been something that our partners That's interesting. the board have been really, you know, they're investing in creators and now they're maximizing that investment by getting to all of the communities through ad serving. And it's proving to be very effective. Yeah. yeah. That, that creator marketing though. I, I think about that. Like you said, they're investing in creators Yeah, and you know, depending on how deep down the rabbit hole of social media you go, you start to realize that some of these creators are 100% walking advertisements, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that, that's why there's a lot of them you don't know, right? Because that is literally their job day in and day out is to market the wares of whatever it is. It could be, you know, Hey, it's a cooking thing that I watch, but sure. it's always the same brand of cookware, right? Mm-hmm. It might be an influencer that's really attractive, yeah, because, and they're wearing the clothing brand, right? In right. every short, in every video. And it's like that investment in creators isn't just paying existing creators to market. It's actually creating advertising. Like it's a whole different ball game right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, for sure. There's look, there's, there's a multitude of ways that, uh, that brands are working with creators. I mean, the, the hope is, is that these creators and, I would say more of the ones that we work with aren't just walking advertisements. You know, I have a, a lot of respect for the creators who are able to look into, you know, your, your, their, their camera, you know, even if they're alone at home and have that, that je ne sais quoi ability to connect with thousands or millions of people, right? It's not, not, not everybody, <laughs> not, not everybody yep. can do that. And it's, 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 it, it, you know, it, it's a real ability and so we definitely look for uh, authentic creators uh, that have authentic fans. You know, I'll just add to this, that, that one thing that's definitely happened, and we talk about this a lot with our partners too, is that, you know, for me growing up, you know, I would watch TV and movies, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thing that happens is you form these, these what we, they say, the p- parasocial relationship with the with the with the, the characters right you yep. tune in every week because you love it you know and when i say parasocial it's that one-way relationship right you yep. you feel like they're part of your friend they're, they're your friend or part of your family <laughs> yep. right but they don't know you right but right you know and so growing up that that was the relationship that again people who grew up on tv would form with that or movies with those characters what's happening now especially with the younger audiences right gen you know gen a Gen Z, young millennials, the ones that were born to social have that same relationship, but with creators, you know, mm-hmm. as well as with their traditional, you know, TVs that they like, it's, you know, they haven't given up on, on that, that IP either, but we're seeing that bond, at least that one way bond. And that's also very powerful when a brand wants to get involved to get in between that because they become that trusted source. They become that friend. If that also makes sense. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. And you see it time and time again. I'm starting to see it even more and more that, that brands really cannot placate to these creators because the creators have wised up. They know that if they say something that's off brand, uh, off, off of brand of their authenticity, if they say something that or promote a product that is, uh, shitty, uh, then they will lose their audience like that. The viewers, you know, even though, it may be a parasocial relationship. They're not dumb. And when they start to smell something fishy, they start to get disengaged 
and feel like they're part of kind of Nick, what you were alluding to there, you know, they're part of their big advertisement. And once as a viewer, you feel like you're inside their commercial, you don't want to be part of it anymore because you wanted that authenticity that you talked about, uh, Nick. And it is interesting too uh, the, the game that gets played because organic uh, is a tricky thing mm. and it can, it can really work if you have the right influencer and the right creator in the right approach, but it's also not in your hands. And so if you try to do organic and uh, you know, the algorithm uh, of that organic has changed or is being throttled in any sort of way, it's, it's, it's really going to be out of your hands in terms of what you can do from a click through rate perspective, cost per click perspective, and just a, a scale perspective. Whereas if you do ad serve, they'll often help you out with the algorithm. <laughs> they'll, they'll, sure. they'll place your ad in front of even more people than their estimates before you make the payment. And I, I know TikTok's getting super aggressive with this. They're making their suite has gotten better and better. I've always viewed Snapchat as a very interesting place to, to do sort of brand marketing because the people who use that site uh, that are using it in a legitimate way are OGs. They're like committed to Snapchat. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're, you know, they post a picture a day and they're on their 900th day doing that. They have these streaks. And um, so, so I find each sort of delving into each social media site uh, a little bit different and a little bit interesting. And I, I try to also experience it as a consumer, Glenn. Yeah. Like what ad will I actually stop on and why did I stop on it and try to think about why did it get me? What did it speak to? And the fact of the matter is, is that it is just a sheer numbers game because the things that I stop on is because I am literally needing that product or or had thought about that a moment before that ad came up Mm -hmm. or I thought about that the other day and then the ad came up. So I I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm not aware of the web hooks. <laughs> I did not think of it one second and then, and then it, uh, a second ago and then it come up. I know how that works, but I'm simply saying that like, that's why I stop. You know, if I see a movie that I've been waiting to come out, I think Scorsese's next film, for example, it, when that trailer comes up, I want to watch it. Yeah. yeah you but know? Chris, I think that's the, that's what, where Glenn is. It's like, mm-hmm. he's almost not doing ads. Right. Well, that's it's true. the difference uh, we're, we're, between we're, ads and marketing, right? Where he's blending it into the influencer experience, but I'll let you expound upon that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think to your point, the, figuring out the algorithms is a little bit of a sucker's game, right? It's hard. Yeah. You know? that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, you know, we don't try and do that. We try and entertain, you know, I, I think that again, par- part of the reason that we work with big average, big, big creators for our partners is that they do have an advantage. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that their content's going to go viral, but they have a head start. They right? sure do. They, they have mm-hmm. an advantage. They have, you know, built an audience and it's typically algorithm friendly, right? Uh, you know, yep. They, yep. they get the, the big creators with big subscriber counts have the benefit of the doubt where their content is exposed to a larger audience up front 
than a small, even though on TikTok, as an example, anybody can go viral, right? You know, uh, you know, my personal and, challenge. And TikTok will, will load you up if you're new on the front end too, for the first couple of weeks, but yeah, go that, ahead. That I'm sure their algorithm knows how to hook you. I am very yeah. confident in that, <laughs> but I, I, you know, again, to Nick, Nick's point, you know, we, we, it is really about entertainment. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the thing about especially younger audiences is that they don't, they, they love brands, right? They still love mm-hmm. their Nikes or whatever their favorite brands are, their upcoming movie. They hate ads. They hate yep, yep. disruptive <laughs> ads. And, you know, like, like if you, if you do look at the research, the amount of quote unquote ad blockers, you know, uh, you know, is, it's something like 80, 90% up there. You know, I don't have the exact stat, but so again, the reason why it's so key to entertain, right. And, and provide the, the, the audience, the communities with what, what they expect. And, and since, since the audiences do love brands, we are big believers that, you know, in the kind of one plus one equals three, that if we Mm. can work with a creator, right. Who's collaborating with a brand and that brand isn't taking away from, but adding to and making what the creator does even better or providing them with more resources. That's when we hit a home run each and every time. And we, yep. we go for that each and every time. So we really, it's, awesome. it's not about disrupting experiences. How does the brand and the, the advertiser work together uh, to, you know, to, to bring the audience something even more of what they already love from this creator? It's a fascinating point. It's That's a fascinating we- point. I, I, I agree with you because I, I think about people that are our age and the fact that we love ads, or at least we used to love ads. Well, I was like, about, if, I was if, like, no, the Super Bowl. I like, love ads. Like, think, no, no, Nick, the Super Bowl. W- once upon a dream, man. I, people, I people, who don't, like, uh, people who don't follow football will watch the Super Bowl just for the commercials. Yeah, I think it's But dwindling. that's not a thing that kids do now. No, it's no, it's dwindling because the ads and aren't even as good and are as special it's not, that's as not they why. were before they're, they're, for me. Yeah, I know, for you, for, for you yeah, and me, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the reason yeah. kids don't like it outside of like sort of I think a dwindling interest in football in general, let's say the Super Bowl, is that ads on social media are the cousin of bots. <laughs> and bots r- stand to ruin your social uh, experience, whether they're in your DMs constantly, whether you're uh, on X or slash Twitter and you're arguing with somebody and you realize they're not a real person, <laughs> uh, you know, whether you're on TikTok and you get a thousand likes and 800 of them are no username, no, no profile yeah. picture type accounts. I mean, bots are terrible and they're all over the place. They're unstoppable. And they're asking you all kinds of weird questions. And an ad is kind of the cousin of that. And so of course they hate ads. Yeah, I don't know because if you like job you said, it translates, not, it, yeah. well, it translates over is what you're saying. It's like my, I mean, the kid's social experience is on, you know, on social media, they see uh-huh. the ads. Why would I want to see one of these ads on the Super Bowl? Right. Or on anything else. I totally get you. Yeah. 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 No, I guess you go back. They don't like, they don't want to be disrupted. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. So again, wh- why we've taken the, the tact that we have, right. You know, in these more entertainment focused partnerships, and I'll just throw in one thing that's kind of a little bit different uh, about Q uh, than others, okay. you know, again, er- early on, you know, and, and this might dovetail kind of a little bit back to the Indies film business is that, you know, I, I would say as influencer marketing has has kind of grown, 
early companies that were supporting, you know, influencers and brands were really focused on technology, right? And building mm -hmm. platforms that match creators and, you know, with, with, with the right brand and, you know, so brands can go in and try and find that. And that's awesome and super important. And we leverage those tools, but where we kind of grew differently is that we recognized very early on that storytelling was so critical right where we then that. built kind of again uh, against the grain a uh, our own in-house studio that is mm -hmm. providing you know that that sits between the brand and the creator on the brand side to make sure that all the key messaging that needs to go in you know goes in and then on the brand on the on the creator side who may be great at again reaching a big audience but not necessarily on how to incorporate a brand is helping them incorporate that message along with remaining authentic to their audience. And that has That's proven awesome. to be a really, really, you know, important tool for Q uh, because now we have brands like whether we're working with, with a Disney or a Hasbro, right. Who have extremely valuable IP, right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, and, they just don't necessarily want to hand it over to a creator, right? One of these unknown creators that might be a great fit. So having kind of <laughs> Q in the middle as a buffer to help them with the creative and, you know, kind of have all the kind of the matrix approvals that they need to go through is really something that's been extremely beneficial for us. Um, so that's Speaking story. Of those, yeah, that's story. awesome. Speaking of those clients and you can share specifics if you'd like, or, um, be as vague as you'd like or not name names or name names, but something me and Nick really want to know yeah. is what metrics that your clients are looking for, uh, from Q to, you know, reflect whether their campaign or your campaign you've created for them was successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it dovetails a little bit with what we we're talking about earlier. So my, having to share this, but like my background before getting into creator space was more on the media side. You know, I worked for mm -hmm. Comedy Central for seven years where I started their interactive uh, sales team. Uh, I worked for, you know, Marvel Comics, Universal. And, you know, in all those companies, I was basically selling media. And so when getting in, then it was really when I was at Disney, where we started working with creators, but, you know, I saw that, that kind of that, that early on creator landscape and well, I almost forgot. Oh, the metrics, you know, yeah. I, I basically applied media metrics to influencer content, to kind of influencers. And, the, and I'll, I'll just say this, like early on in the influencer space, like let's say Coca-Cola would go to an influencer and say, Hey, I want to do a you know, collaborate with you. Right. They, the, the, the creator would be like, all right, it cost me a thousand dollars to to make this video. I'll charge them two thousand. So there was no real yep. sense of pricing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I looked at it as like, well, well, why would it only be a thousand when you're reaching, you know, you know, eight million people? So all I've done really is try to focus like, what is the math? What is the actual value? If if brand X, if my studio was going to invest in television or pre-roll or other any other marketing tactics, how does that compare to what you would get? If you did a campaign with us at the end of the day, our methodology is so strong that we are, you know, more efficient and, you know, we would say more effective. There's more. Uh, so the metrics that we show are, we look at the, you know, based on their investment, how many views did they get? How many engagements, how many people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, liked the video or commented on the video, shared the video. And then increasingly 
what our partners want is a real in-depth understanding of the sentiment. So we know we've won when in the comments it says, you know, oh, I can't wait to see that film even better. You know, I'm going on, you know, on September 30th, (laughs) you know, know, early on, like they would see one of our, uh, one of our posts with influencers and we would see if we saw in the comments, oh, my birthday's on August, you know, we know we got them, you know, it's, it's so it's sentiments is increasingly an important part of it. That's fantastic because you're really doing what these AI cameras are doing in, in screen testing where they're trying to get sentiment through your facial expression in a right. test screening. You're getting sentiment through comments and reaction on social. And it, it is super powerful. I was wondering how much they cared about efficiency, but but as compared to sentiment, I could see that maybe efficiency is is maybe tertiary or, or further down the list as compared to sentiment and those other things you mentioned. Well, I, I mean, th- again, we've built a methodology. It's, it's actually really efficient, right. And okay. effective. Right. So like, right. Th- that, that's what I like, again, that's why it means like they're, they're, Studios and brands are very smart, especially their media folks. They are able to look at a plan, see the results and know how their spend impacted their campaign. That's They're really good at that. And you know, again, leveraging the methodology that we built and leveraging the right creators and big creators, it, at the end of the day, it comes out where it is more efficient than other ways. So it, it might not be less expensive, right? The out-of-pocket might right. you know, they might still have to invest a half a million dollars, whatever, whatever that investment is, but it's still going to be as efficient, if not more efficient. And again, with the added value, again, you run a spot on TV, you're not getting the comments and the likes and the positive sentiment, you know, immediately. Not only is it efficient, it's also effective, is the is the net. What would yeah, you say great. is the average now, the current? And you don't have to be exact. Approximation is fine, but the the, the current sort of cost per click, if you you know, if you were looking at trying, or is to, that even a thing that you're looking well, at? Is the other question? You, you as have well, to track right? it, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, is that is that inside baseball? That potentially necessary it's, 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 in there. I'll just yeah. I'll just say that it's really across the board, you know. And look, we don't. You know, sometimes we'll work with one or two creators, but typically we'll work with a bunch and it'll, it'll, you know, at at the end of the day in working with a bunch, it, it, it averages, (laughs) you know, but you can, you can definitely have a creator that's charging hundreds of thousands of dollars for a post. And you have some that are just hundreds of dollars, right? And they, each, each of them, there may be a good reason to include them. But again, at the end of the day, you know, we'll package something together in a way that's going to fit a budget and the efficiencies that our brands are looking for. And uh, yeah, you're actually nailing the point of w- what I was trying to get across, which is like, okay, if I paid a hundred thousand dollars to one creator and a thousand dollars to another creator, does the math suss out where it's like the cost per click was the same because their audiences were so vastly different? Yeah. I mean, it's a big part of our plan, right? We're going to find a creator that is not only going to deliver the creative, but is also going to deliver the viewership and, you know, impact commensurate with the investment. Yeah. But that's what I was saying about the cost per click though, right? That's where things get a little bit confusing because it's not (laughs) always a click, right? It could be the sentiment, like you mentioned, which isn't a click, it's an engagement, that gives you a sense that mm-hmm. the advertisement, the marketing effort is actually working. And that's why I said, like, it's difficult if you say, well, what's the cost per click? 
well, maybe we're not actually going after clicks. Maybe we're going after reach and sentiment, which are much more difficult to measure by numbers, right? It's not a structured data, but it's more unstructured uh, view of things. Yeah, I mean, sure, trust me, they, there's there's all those, you know, sometimes it's it's based off of a cost per view. Sometimes it's a cost yep. per thousand views. Sometimes it's cost mm-hmm. per engagement. Sometimes it is, uh, you know, cost per click. So the, the, yep. all of these different metrics are there. Typically, Q works on, since it's, you know, kind of upper funnel, it's, you know, kind of cost per view mm-hmm. or, you know. Uh, exactly. But, That's what I was thinking of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cost know, per view. You know, or, you know, or, or CPM. Mainly because we want to be able to compare it to if I invested in TV. You know, you talk about the Super Bowl, you know, a Super Bowl spot may cost X and, you know, significant millions of dollars. <laughs> right. You may be able to then work, you know, again with, uh, with Jimmy and Mr. Beast for one, you know, at, a, a, <laughs> at a, you know, still expensive, but fraction of the price and <laughs> right. reach an equivalent audience. You know, it's pretty, yep. it's pretty amazing. I heard Jimmy say recently that he does a billion views per month. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's insane. Glenn. It's, it's, I mean, look, if you've watched, if you look at his channel, it's like every video is between like a hundred and 300 million views. Right. He's a true global star. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. It, it's mind boggling. And he just became a domain expert in the thing he was doing he reminds me of, you know, those concert pianists that used to come on the David Letterman show and they'd be like four or five years old. And, uh, you know, he, Dave was always great about like bringing on these sort of servants in, in these different fields. And I would remember he'd bring on musicians that were kids. It's yeah. like, you start that young or like when he brought on Tiger Woods, when he was very, very young, like he was three yeah. years old and we watched Tiger sort of maturate into this thing. That's, that's Jimmy. Like he's, he just was Tiger Woods with with YouTube until it 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 sort of uh, blew up. And, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we you yeah. know because we've talked about Barbie plenty this year. But I, I have to bring it up one more time because this is a marketing conversation. And what they sure. did with the Barbie film, mm-hmm. um, speaking of remarkable, was yeah. it's something that should be in 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 business school, in my opinion. Sure, because we can juxtaposition what cocaine bear did right mm-hmm. which was a total marketing play yep with what barbie did and what i noticed with cocaine bear is they they really you know targeted the same audience that snakes on a plane did and then sometimes they would skew a little bit older but they hit you hard with the name of the movie uh and and the word cocaine in their mm-hmm. marketing and the net effect of that over the span of their campaign was that it went from a curiosity to funny to sort of annoying. And I noticed that their, their sort of line, if you will, of, of sentiment, as you put it, kind of went like this and kind of dovetailed down a little bit as the movie started rolling out and it was out two or three weeks. I'm sure it still did fine financially uh, mm-hmm. or even great financially. Yeah. But with Barbie, what when you compare it, what's crazy about what they were able to pull off and what Mattel was able to pull off is that when that movie was announced, there was a absolutely negative sentiment. The movie should exist. Hmm. And by the time the movie, you know, hit the theaters, they had turned the sentiment completely around to your point about Hasbro and Disney plus before it's like they turned this whole thing into like, 
we can't wait to see Barbie. Oh, Barbie comes out on my birthday. Barbie, you know, yeah, let's yeah, all yeah. wear pink to the theater. Yeah, I, mean, I don't look, know how they pulled that off. That was amazing. Well, I, look, I think in both cases, I mean, uh, I know it's hard to compare Barbie and, and Cocaine Bear. <laughs> almost almost <laughs> yeah. in the same sentence. Well, we, right. were, we were hit over the head with both of them. And if you worked yeah. on either one of them, just tell us so that we can be transparent. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, look, we work with both studios. We had, and I just, we we have we didn't work on either of those particular films, but look the good okay. the, the thing like what's always the easiest for us or you know the most successful is when the product is good, right? And both, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, again, I don't know if you've seen both, but you know, I've, yes, Bar- Barbie was brilliant, you know, yes, it was, uh, it was brilliant, know, and yeah. and Cocaine Bear was just nothing but t- a ton of fun, you know, um, yep. you know, and so. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the first leg in, you know, when we have that, the marketing helps everyone starts to get behind it. You know, Barbie was a phenomenon. Our friends at Warner brothers just, you know, they probably didn't get to sleep for, uh, you know, a couple of months and lead up to that, just in the amount of partnerships and momentum that it had, you know, the way that, that both Mattel and, and Warner Brothers navigated the IP, Barbie's legacy, but also making it current and tying it into kind of the the cultural, it had cultural relevance for today. You know, it, yep. it, was, it was just brilliantly constructed. There was momentum across the board. Everybody wanted to get in, engaged and involved in it. And it was just how fast could they move to bring all these partners in place? And it, you know, it became the phenomenon that it, that it was. And uh, thanks to yes, great acting. Yeah, sorry. And you said like the product is great, right? And that's what we, great. Chris and I always talk about that, right? Like story yeah. is king. The product's got to be great, right? Um, but one oh. of the things I know that, you know, as we, we get later in our, in our conversation here, one of the things I want to make sure that we kind of, we close out with our audience is how do they do this? Right. So we mentioned already, like you said, like the people you work with are the studios. You're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, half a million to a million dollar budgets or more. You know, it could be $50 million budgets, depending on what you're trying to do. Right. So on the indie side of creative, yeah. right. Yeah. Let's, let's pretend that the money isn't the, the concern here. Sure. What's the process? What is the thinking that goes behind what you would want to put in a marketing campaign and how can indie creatives even think about marketing from that media, media buy perspective, right? What mm-hmm. can they do? if they don't have the dollars behind this to just leverage the methodology, leverage the thinking that you have. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, kind of back to the the algorithm piece of it in any of our internal conversations, when we're talking about the creative part of it, it's like, great creative is the solve. Right. And that's again, why we built a studio because, you know, making great content for social platforms is, it, it is a big part of the distribution. Right. That's when yeah. the algorithms yeah. will kick in. You know, again, if people are watching that clip that you put in and, uh, you know, they watch it multiple times and they like it and you, you can make some assumptions that there's part of that, the algorithm that will say, oh, all right, that piece of content is, is, is being enjoyed. We're going to, you know, share it with more, more people. So I, I think that, you know, one is, is establishing, you know, presence on these key platforms is doing your own exercise of identifying the communities that you really need to reach, you know? And so it's, it's really the same process, you know, it's, it's like, again, whatever the independent film is, who's going to want to know about this, uh, who are you really trying to appeal to understand who the creators are, 
understand, you know, kind of the bits of content that are going to really, that in your large, longer film, what can you make into short form posts that will be catchy, that will pull the heartstrings? Um, we often talk, you know, very early in, in the creative process, you know, you know, once, you know, once we've identified the audience, what is the reason we ask, what is the reason to believe that we want to convey about this film to the audience where they're going to go, Oh, I want to see that. And in theater, cause it's mm. sparking whatever emotion, whatever is that, that draw that humans have for stories. Right. Yep. So it's, it's trying to identify that core and the community try and, you know, either partner with creators or share your story with them, you know, or, you know, uh, try and collaborate with them, but put the content out there that you feel is going to have the most appeal and, you know, connect with the community that starts to show up and, uh, and, you know, hopefully it will grow and snowball. That's awesome. That's perfect, man. We appreciate that. Cause that's, it speaks to the indie community and, you know, like you mentioned before about influencers, they're creators, right? That's what these independent filmmakers are. They're creators. So that's perfect. Thank you. Super respect for all storytellers, right? It's, it's, it's big reason why I'm, you know, why I work in film and why I work with creators. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I can see it on your face. You know, it's like, when you say that, when you even say the word creator, you always get a smile because like you said, it's the storytelling. There's a, there's a connection to humans, right? Through that storytelling. And we we love it. So thank you for that. And I think that the, the thing that is sort of baked into, to Glenn's commentary there that, that we should try to, to extract here is that if you can afford a studio approach to your content creation as a way to leverage an investment in ad buys, you should do that because you're going to get a plus plus output from a studio that is designed to, to make that content who has a plus plus editors, a plus plus colorists, um, idea, people, producers, uh, actors, they can, they can bring it all together for you. But if you can't afford a studio, uh, approach, then you have to lean on to your point, Nick, your own storytelling creative and almost maybe put together something that looks similar to a seed and spark or Kickstarter campaign video. And then, and then run that through a marketing firm or even run that through a publicist, through PR as an indie filmmaker. Right. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Like don't try to like hop in illustrator or hop in like, uh, you know, your little app on your phone and, and, and put, you know, graphics together and think that's going to cut, <laughs> cut it. It's not going to cut it. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. It, you think it's good enough. It's not good enough. Like what it takes to like Glenn has used a few times this conversation, disrupt someone's attention on social. The content has to be excellent. It has to be so good and it's almost like watching a singer perform as a musician. I have a bit of frustration in the idea that so much perfection is, is, is wanted from that performer, but yet the non-musician and the consumer of that wants every note to be hit perfectly as they're singing and as they're playing. And if they hit one note off, Oh, they suck. 
they don't suck. <laughs> you know, they missed that one note, but no, the consumer is, is, is very fickle like that. Like, you know, it sucked. And so just one uh, scene that's bad in a movie, the whole movie sucks now. And so I just think you have to keep that in mind with your creative, you know, you hire a firm that can give you the kind of content that is going to disrupt someone's attention on social and get you the clicks and, and sentiment and views you yeah. want. All great points. You know, f- find the, find the 15 seconds of your film that strikes the core that says, I have to go see this film. I've got to connect yeah. this. So it's a really, it's curating your own work That's to right. break it into the bits that, that really express the what you've created what you've what you've you know sweated for to make uh is really it's it's almost a process of curating your own your own work to appeal to the audience that you need to reach i love that being honest with yourself (laughs) i'd love to wrap on on just this this question of course nick if you have other things you want to shoot glenn's way please don't don't let me stop you of course but uh, i think you'll enjoy this and want to know this as well nick because we talk about this all the time on the podcast glenn which is that the marketing or pna spend on a film keeps inching up and up and up as the world becomes a more and more crowded place from a media perspective sure in all the different places where one can place their attention if they choose to and now we think it's between 50 and 60% of the total film budget. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? Are you seeing that that's that our estimates are too high? I mean, is it genre based or are we too low? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a great question when I don't, I, I don't have the answer to, cause I don't, I, again, I don't necessarily see you know, uh, your, your estimates, you know, anywhere from, you know, you know, it could be matching. It could be half the production budget. It could be, you know, matching the entire production budget. I think really, it yeah, really, yeah, like Mar- Barbie, I guess. Yeah, I think it really varies by uh, by film, but it's, they definitely in, invest in media and marketing to to get that adoption and excitement for the film. I, I don't have a percentage. Yeah. And again, I, and I, I, you know, again, we we work on a segment right of the marketing. We're not that's true helping yeah. them with their TV. You know efforts or, you know, creating big events or things like that per se, you know, often and more often than not, we're starting to work even closer and making sure whatever our efforts are doing is, is lining up with other efforts to kind of, kind of create a, even a, a bigger program for them. I don't have a specific answer. I do know that the overall digital marketing and influencer budgets have been increasing steadily year yeah. over year as uh, as influencers and kind of social have become, you know, kind of you talked about TV, like the place where as, as other media platforms like TV have become more and more fragmented and harder to reach an audience, social, especially if you're trying to reach those key younger audiences, is the place to reach a scaled audience with impact. The thing about marketing, you know, kind of the truism that's always said is that marketing dollars follows where the audience is. And you know, social is where the audience is. Uh, we right. just so happen to have a really solid methodology in impacting audiences, whether it's at scale or specific communities. Um, uh, so that's our advantage. But that's where the audience is, and that's why we're seeing commensurate spending against it. 
And when you say that, just to just to follow up on that, what you're basically saying to decode it a little bit is that you have relationships with creators that are either exclusive or near exclusive where you can count on them to sort of partner with brands when you call them and then offer them uh, a particular budget. Is is that, uh, am I I hearing you right? When you say what Q's advantage is? We definitely have very strong relationships with creators, agents, managers, right? You know, you know, we've been doing this for so many years, you know, and there are certain creators that we've, we've, we've worked with many, many times because they, they're professional, they show up, they produce great content. But the truth is, is that, you know, and, and kind of what I was saying a little bit earlier, how all these creators are independent contractors, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, we consider ourselves kind of brand first, meaning that, you know, if, if we work with Sony on Father Stew, we may go after a very, you know, very specific set of creators that reach a very specific community. So we will basically build the creator profile for each campaign based on the brand's needs. So uh, we worked yeah. on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, maybe different set of creators than, you know, for Top Gun, you know? Yep. Uh, and so we, we custom, we curate the right creators to reach the communities that are important. <laughs> for, uh, yeah. For and what I heard you say was niche and numbers, right? Yeah. Both of those are yeah. factors in what you're doing. And that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Nick, we, we keep advocating this thing where it's like, look, if you're making a, one or two million dollar indie film, you're going to now need one million dollars minimum to go into marketing. And maybe a segment of that is influencer marketing. Uh, but whatever your curated approach is, you need 50% of that budget. And and if you can raise two million from an equity investor and the taxpayer and and patrons, then you can raise three million. You know, there's no reason you can't. And the equity investors, and this is the tricky part, the equity investors that put up the $2 million for the movie will deeply appreciate and respect the fact that you want to make their money back by raising an additional million to market it. If they understand. And, and that's what we've been advocating. desired outcome is a financial return on their investment, right? right. Where I do yeah. believe that also in independent film, there are other aspects of ROI, right? Yeah. So it depends on what they're trying to get out of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they I could I, give to the arts and get a tax write off. We'll do that too. I, that's a great sentiment. They should be, you know, behind that project and trying to give it every possible chance to succeed. Uh, but yes, whether it is financial return or a story that just must be told, yep. you know, it's important, <laughs> uh, you know, let's give it the, you know, the best chance that it's got, you know? Yeah. And investing is about placing your dollars behind your deepest conviction. And if your deepest conviction is this story as an investor, then put everything you can into it and and make your bet. You know, there's no such thing as like sliding half a chip in on a hand. Like you have to go all in on the hand and not tiptoe around and pretend that, that you're not all in or whatever. Like, with, you know, with any type of investment, it's a, it's a, you're, you're taking your dollars and putting it behind your deepest conviction. And that's how you win. Even if you have to lose a few times to, to get there. So this has been incredible. This has been fun. I've learned, I learned so much. I think we packed in, uh, 
uh, a semester's worth of, of film school education, marketing <laughs> education in one hour of podcasting, Nick, just now. Yeah. And I think, again, Chris, this is what we talk about, right, is, is having these conversations, right, and really connecting with an audience, our audience about, you know, some of these things that they can do for themselves, because again, they're not necessarily going to have the financial resources, but the importance behind marketing at any, any level doesn't go away for sure. Right. Just because your budget is low or even nil. It's like, no, 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 it's still very important. And then what you said, Glenn is so spot on just saying that use the content that you've created curate content mm-hmm. from your content as a means of marketing. And that's, that's perfect. Especially, you know, the lower the budget, I think the more you have to rely on that, really? I think the higher the budget, you're still relying on it, but now you can incorporate other factors. And I think that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. There are plenty of methods that you can, even with a shoestring budget can still employ to start engaging audiences and you just got to take that effort and do it. Awesome. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. So Glenn, before we finish up, we got to make sure people know how to get in touch with you, hire you, uh, engage (laughs) with you, uh, uh, you know, all the good things. So can you tell us where we can find you on social media, find you on the internet, uh, or even contact you to hire you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess, I guess I'll give two, uh, uh, you can go to, uh, my company's website and I'm going to spell it out because we've did kind of our, our name to the Q. So the Q.com, but it's spelled T H E, the Q, spelled Q Y O U.com. Got it. You can yep. get to our homepage or Glenn Ginsburg on LinkedIn. Just link in with me. Uh, that's awesome. That's great. I, we, we face the same thing, Glenn, all the time. People will spell bonsai with a Z or wow. they'll want to go bonsai.com yeah. instead of bonsai.film. <laughs> And that's just one of those things where we thought we were being clever on both accounts. And it just turns out that it's not perfect for everybody. (laughs) So, so, you know, we, 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 uh, we totally, totally empathize with that situation, but I think it's a a very, very cool website. So that again is T H E Q Y O U.com, the Q.com. Glenn, this has been great. And everyone listening, uh, do go find him. He is a, a super pro and a superhero in the marketing space. Reach out to him. Is, is there, is there a, like a project you refuse to take? Is there a, a floor that people need to know about just before I say all that? Yeah. It, it basically the only things that we really wouldn't consider is, uh, you know, guns, drugs, and porn. That's a really there the three areas. Yeah. Gun, drugs, and porn. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. And he's going to also say, and don't bring me garbage, right? Like, like we got to have standards about what we put out we, here we, with these we influencers. We like to work right? with, 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 of course, films that have a, you know, that are, that are a great product, of course. But those yeah. are, I, you know, otherwise, look, we're not, we, you know, you know, we're equal opportunity marketers. We'll market to, to any groups uh, and, you know, we're open to a variety. And a of, variety of price points too, right? Is, is really sure. what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have audience can advice. afford it. If you guys see a great project, you know, I'm happy to always, you know, lend thought my thinking. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. We appreciate that. That's, that's huge. That's huge. That's huge. I love that. So, okay. So anybody that's interested in Glenn, you know where to find them, you know where to reach out to him, but you can also now based on what Glenn just said, <laughs> reach out to us and we can help you reach by reaching out to him. And if you want to reach out to us, that's really easy. You can email us at contact at bonsai.film. You can also find us on social across social media at underscore 
Bonsai Creative. You can follow this podcast at underscore make it podcast across social. You can reach out to Nick directly at Nick at, uh, well, you know, I guess it's an email address. So Nick at bonsai.film. And by the way, Nick, I noticed you're wearing that gray shirt. I was also wearing a gray t-shirt and I, at the last minute I changed into this polo, uh, because I thought we've got Glenn, you know, Ginsburg on, I can't wear this gray t-shirt, but you look, you look great in it. And I should have wore it and we would have twinned out today. Uh, and see, I blew it's it. All, it's all, I blew it's all it. good. It's all my good. bad. My bad. <laughs> if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on X slash Twitter at flame in your heart. Your is spelled you are. So flame in your heart, or you can just search for Chris Barkley and I will come right up. Last but not least, go to bonsai.film where you can discover all of our marketing services as well, where we actually curate our own little band of, of creatives as well to execute your plan. Full marketing mix as, as, uh, so it's a little bit different than what we talked about with Glenn, where he's doing that segment. And we do typically work with, with indies as, as well. So ch- go there, check out services page, bonsai.film and uh, take a big step towards your filmmaking success or reach out to us and we'll get you in touch with Glenn as well, where he can uh, get you involved with the best content creators around. You also might Go to our website and see some things about our newsletter. That's at bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. It's a wonderful little newsletter that we do. It's super positive and uh, we just bring you the best goodness uh, around independent film, the things that are important to you every two weeks. It's free and you can join today at bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. And so after that enormous diatribe, I will give it to you, Nick, to leave <laughs> us with the credo yeah he's going to pitch it to me for one of the favorite parts because you know the credo is very important to us because it speaks to what we try to do for the community and everything that we do whether it's the podcast or our engagement with folks outside in the real world and that is be better be creative be engaged and thank you for listening nick talk to you soon yes sir we'll do it again this is great it's always fun glenn thanks, you're guys. the best hope we can do this again absolutely thanks guys yeah thanks man be appreciate good, you You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Banzai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe. And we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters, including bonus content, exclusive swag, and discounts and freebies to private film events. If that sounds like something you can get behind, 
Donations start at only $5 monthly. And, of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore our unrivaled approach to film marketing. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.